Skeeter Green from Skeeter Green Productions, and this is Save for Half. Now that you've cast out the evil sorcerer and taken his treasures and searched his colon for gems, it's time for you to kick back and listen to the Save for Half Sideshow. Welcome to the Save for Half Sideshow, where it's all fun and games until somebody takes a four-sider to the eye. Hey everybody, welcome to the Safer Half Sideshow, number 50 and a half, where we are here to discuss things with Skeeter Green of Skeeter Green Games. Was that Skeeter Green Productions? Yes, that would be Skeeter Green Productions. Productions, part of the Independent Union Group. (laughs) The Independent Publishers Union, you mean? (laughs) Thank you. I was waiting for actually for Jim to correct. Mike, do you want me to just take over? <laughs> I've got a new kitten in my lap, so I've had a very mellow week. I'll try and ramp it up for you, Mike. Okay. The guys we get to sit next to it every year at North Texas. So as everyone knows, I am DM Mike. Joining me, as usual, is DM Corbett. Hello. DM Jim. Hey. And DM Liz. Hi there. Everything hurts today. <laughs> well, not every, but a lot. We got out and skated at the skate party last night, and I didn't fall down. I saw pictures of that. You guys did great. Yeah, although I did have to have one of those wheeled walkers. Yeah, I want one of those when I have to go to skate places with my wife. Yeah, those those are pretty sweet, you know, especially if you haven't skated in a while. It's... I saw the picture Liz posted. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That wasn't included in the invite. I'd have flown down there for that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, see, now you know they're there. So honestly, we didn't know we were they were there until we got there, and it's like, oh, hey, they totally renovated this place because the last time we were there was four years ago, and that was pre-COVID. They did have some, but they were all child-sized. So uh, this was the first time they had some adult-sized ones. I would one hundred percent use a child-sized one. <laughs> yeah. oh, so four years ago, that was your thirty-sixth birthday. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. I thought it was twenty-six. I'm off by a factor of ten. Mm. But uh, yeah, that that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Twenty thirty something. Yeah, let's let's yeah, that's it, add those it? to add isn't those it? together and let's um, say it is. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna talk to Skeeter about various sundry things with Skeeter Green Productions, their future, their past, and things. But first, do we have any emails, Liz? Oddly enough, yes, we do. Sweet. Yay. Email! (laughs) Email bag! I read all the emails on the face of the earth! No emails were harmed in the making of this podcast. Wait a minute. I have a clarifying question here. It just popped into my head. Uh Uh-oh. So these are emails, correct? 
They, yes. they are indeed emails. These are electronic mails, yet Mike said, reach into the bag to get them. Now, is that an electronic bag? Or of are course. you just trying to put one over on me? It's the post-apocalyptic equivalent of a bag of holding. It's called a folding 4D cube, which, yes, can contain <laughs> electronic and EM signals. That is the answer I was looking for. Maybe we printed <laughs> them out, and she's Ooh. reading them. See? Yeah. Ooh, put them in a bag. swerve. Yeah. Or they're, they're also called data packets. So Ooh. is it a real nice. packet? Oh, we're getting way off into the woods now. So, we, words. we haven't even started, and this is going to be a five-star <laughs> SAS quotient episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, words, Liz. Words. words. All right. Well, our first set of words is from DM Kojo. Woohoo! And it made it through. Yes. Oh, the contact form worked for him. Yay! <laughs> so, Kojo writes... Greetings to my favorite half-savers. In my gaming career, I have often ported character classes from one game to another. Sometimes it is within the same genre, and sometimes not. When it is an option, I have used official conversions, like when I brought first edition Gamma World characters into AD&D using the rules in the 1E DMG. Oh, my heart. (sighs) (laughs) Sometimes I have used alternative methods available, such as when I use the Archer NPC class from Dragon Magazine to port over a Longbowman from a Palladium fantasy campaign. Finally, I have at times had to completely wing it, such as when I brought a 2E psionicist into a Redbox basic game. I'm curious. Well done. <laughs> I am curious what kinds of classes you have ported into other games over the years and how you went about doing it. Thanks, DM Kojo. Thanks, Kojo. Open the floor. I got well, nothing. I beat it. I don't want to speak for Jim, but he and I have kind of made game companies based on this very concept. <laughs> how fortuitous. I, I, I mean, how weird that would be an email <laughs> with the two of us on here. Yeah, and it was an email from May. So <laughs> we've been sitting uh, man, on this for a while. Go that Joe, your is some in foresight. Go, <laughs> Joe, expect your check anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, for me, I have always been one of those proponents of mixing all kinds of genres. You know, the the great quote, any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic, is how I came up with ultra science for Crypt of the Science Wizard. And that was years ago. So yeah, I, I've always loved like Planet of the Apes when you have a nuclear bomb under this sort of desolate landscape with these weird animals that can speak and you do all that stuff. But yeah, there have been a lot of very creative people in different aspects of D&D for years and they've come up with really good ideas. And it always seems like there's this general oh this was written for basic D, so i can't use it in 3.5 or whatever and that is just dumb yeah. i mean if you if you find somebody who has who scratches a creative itch for you by all means grab a class grab an ability and just like kojo said wing it if you have to well Back in the day, back in the late 70s and early 80s, we did this all the time. You know, we took class. Exactly. I took the Amazon class from Ardrin Grimoire. I took some classes from the terrible redo of Sea State of the Invincible Overlord that Mayfair did. <laughs> Do you have a strong opinion about that, Mike? <laughs> uh, well, the packaging was first 
great, top-notch, pretty. It's just, when you turn the city-state of the Invincible Overlord into Briarwood, that sounds like a suburb outside a little gated mm-hmm. community. I, I am not even joking. I lived two blocks from a place called Briarwood growing exactly. up. Exactly! <laughs> That's That was the name of the planned community. <laughs> <laughs> raise your kids in Briarwood. Right. I do not want to raise my kids in the city-state of the Invincible Overlord. <laughs> right. It, it really should be two different things. But there was a lizard man race class that was part of that box set that I stole. I tried using the 2E bard in 1E before I imported the 0E bard. Ooh, that's going deep. <laughs> well, I mean, who could ever play the 1E bard? Nobody ever got that far. I did that one time. <laughs> One time, because I specifically, from level one, said, all right, this is going to be a bard eventually. Oh, me too. I had that character. Five levels as a thief. Five levels as a fighter. Okay, now I'm a bard. Well, you died this adventure. That sucked. I've I've never lasted that long. Either the campaign never lasted long enough for that to happen, or, yeah, my character would die. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, Mike talking about lizard men. Ever since I got the rogues gallery... And saw that picture of a lizard man with that trident in the back. I was like, I have to be a lizard man. And I've done it probably a dozen times in the 40 (coughs) plus years I've played and died (laughs) within two games. (laughs) Oh, man. Every time. So, yeah, I guess the simple answer, Coho, is yes, we have. And by the way, the archer and the dragon suck. Oh, I'm speaking. I'm speaking as a DM, by the way, having to deal with it, especially the Archer Ranger variant. Oh Mm. God! Remember the elf from uh, Oh uh, Hawk the Slayer? Hawk the Slayer. Yeah, that's pretty much the Archer (laughs) Ranger. Awesome with machine gun. It's funny knowing Kojo because Kojo already knows how to do this. I'm a hundred percent sure. But if you're old enough and experienced enough and have just jammed enough, it's no big deal. Although I appreciate that that's not everyone, right? Like me, right? In the MCC playtest, we decided I had them talked into their minds are going to be teleported back in the past on a mission, and they didn't know they were going to appear in rabbit bodies. And the intention was to have a session of bunnies and burrows, but I just to make it quicker and easier we went ahead and ran bunnies and burrows with mcc rules and for years at conventions i ran uh, an mcc version of tuma horrors so everybody knows it's it's just you're not going to survive how long can you survive and i ran it from gary's old module from 1980 and just with dyslexia i can flip an ac nine points in my head but that's not everybody if you're not that experienced or you're not that comfortable doing it that's where like those goodman games adventures reincarnated line of books where you've got like the old version of isla dread or expedition to barry peaks and here's a 5e version right beside it that'll help you get started with that kind of stuff this is not a bash on 3e or later but it seemed to me when 3e came out there was a lot of real emphasis on game balance yeah a lot more than we had back in the day and i think that's probably a an outgrowth of that. You're so obsessed with balance. I can't see how it would not make you nervous about importing a class that has not been tested Mm -hmm. because your first thought will be, will this be balanced? I don't know. Will my players get mad at me? Right. I think that came from D&D and Paizo becoming corporate entities 
that are trying to be shepherds of the game. They started to really codify this stuff so you had a predictable path. And I think that had consequences that people didn't realize. Like that did stunt some of the creativity and some of the genre mashing because they had formulas for encounters. Yeah, and that's well said. With whatever that CR rating is, a challenge rating, that yeah, kind of nonsense. Because yeah. that that came directly from, as Mike pointed out, the 3.0 version of the game. And it was to promote balance. I remember it being drilled into my head. Oh, each encounter is supposed to consume 25% of your resources, blah, 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 blah. And it just, okay, that makes me want to hang myself from the rafters. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it, it's a play style preference thing, but I played right. one session of 5e and I was out of 5e as soon as I realized I that it was so balanced I couldn't sit there with my wizard be really really smart and crafty with my spells and break the adventure. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> now, that being said, the best campaign that I've had as an adult was a Pathfinder campaign. It was with a buddy of mine I'd been gaming with for a long time. It was with my wife, Northwest Jen and one of her teacher friends. The cool thing about it was the skills and all of that stuff that is baked into Pathfinder, it actually helped creatively the people that didn't have a lot of experience gaming because there was so much openness, a lot of times they didn't know what they could do. So having these skills, it helped them go, oh, there's a stealth skill. Okay, so I'm going to try and sneak. Instead of just, you know, we've got collectively what 3000 years of dming experience just in in us right here we automatically think that way but people who are newer to the games don't necessarily know they don't know what they don't know i'll agree with you with the caveat that i think the problem with that is it gets people so connected to their character sheets they won't think outside the box oh sure i would agree with that as well and that's why i cited my uh, inclinations maybe play style preference based because th that's a play style preference too and there's nothing wrong with it if you right. and your group want to go play wanna that do way that, having fun that's great yeah go for it yeah, yeah. not so me jack that was <laughs> i i, I want a chance i'm gonna die and then roll the dice hard and be crafty oh yeah every campaign i've ever run there's a good chance you're gonna die <laughs> a good chance okay uh next email all right our next email is also from dm kojo as a matter of fact, I believe he sent it right after the first one. Ah. He says, greetings again. My previous email about porting over classes from other games got me thinking. I also have, at times in my gaming career, made new classes. I know Jim has had a lot of experience making new character classes for Mutant Crawl Classics, and Mike does for Victorious, but what about the rest of the crew? Has Corbett or Liz made any new classes? If so, how did you go about it? While I'm at it, I wanted to give a shout out to a really good tool that I discovered for just such a purpose. The BX Options Class Builder book published by the Welsh Piper and available on DriveThruRPG. It's a great resource for creating custom classes for BX D&D and its clones. The book breaks down the core classes into a mathematical formula that can help when creating new classes to keep them somewhat balanced to the original classes. I highly recommend this book. Thanks, DM Kojo. We'll put that link in the show notes. There was an early Dragon magazine. I say early, you know, 
100 prior that had a mathematical formula for making classes in AD&D, but I cannot think of the number of it. Yeah, this I, your, uh, did, I can't think of the name of the cartoon, but you, <laughs> but you helped Mike with those AI horses. Oh, yeah. The, the... Galaxy Rangers. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The, the Galaxy Rangers ripoff. <laughs> yeah. Sable oh, Rangers, Surely. totally different. Totally different. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we actually really loved that article. And <laughs> yeah, because I remember uh, reading through it at North Texas after Jim had published it. We we're just flipping through it going, holy cow, this is actually really good. <laughs> this is a great idea. It was very fun and we enjoyed it. Well, thanks. Yeah, Jim told me that Tim Casks read it and said he's basically introduced the paladin into <laughs> MCC. And my first yeah. thought was like, huh. I guess yeah. I did, didn't I? Big-ass, well-armed robot cop horse. Yeah. That, that will only accept certain behavior from its rider. Yep. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, we thought huh. it was it was a very well-thought-out idea for people who like to break ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Jim. <laughs> you can find that article in Scientific Barbarian Number 1, which you can order from mudpuppygames.com. Link in the show notes. <laughs> hey, look at that. I did a, a product plug. I didn't Ooh. even mean to. <laughs> Good for you. You're supposed to be plugging your stuff, man. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, that is not the point of this. The point of this is for me to talk nonsense with friends. <laughs> okay, well, speak of nonsense, let's have a podcast break, and when we come back, we'll get to another email. Into a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. Broadcasting from the back of a van. What have we gotten into? It's Radio Free Muncie. Three dudes talking about gaming and comics. We're going to have some old school versus new school discussion. All through the lens of the Knights of the Dinner Table comic strips. Layer of the Gazebo classic strip. So join us at anchor.fm slash Radio Free Muncie.
This portion of the show is being brought to you by Ed's Shoplift Emporium, the world's first store intended to fill the needs of today's busy kleptomaniacs. Our cluttered aisles, unstaffed dressing rooms, mirrorless walls, and untrained, uncaring security guards make it almost impossible for us to catch you. So why pay retail? Why pay wholesale? Come on down to Ed's Shoplift Emporium, where everything on sale is a real steal. Okay, we're back. And before we get to another email, Corbett, did you have anything to contribute to that email? <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Smooth. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm totally narc to you. <laughs> my my only comment about that wasn't so much that I've yeah, everybody's created character classes and I've done one of the earliest ones I ever did. There was a there was a comic strip called Snarf Quest. I <laughs> always enjoyed reading. Oh, yes. I remember that. And they made those characters in one of the back of the Dragon Mags, I remember, but they didn't really define I can't remember his name now, the robots. There, there was a robot little, that crashed. A little Elrond kind of robot guy. Yeah. And I thought it was neat that it was like a automaton knight. And so I made like a some some version of that that my GM allowed to play it or run it through. And he hated it because it was a robot. They overpowered the game. <laughs> so, and I wasn't trying to. I was trying to be quirky. Well, I mean, that happens <laughs> sometimes. You know, as a DM, you think, hey, that's a great concept. You could play it. Holy crap, he's ruining my game. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of like, well, it, it's fun to make stuff like that, but you do have to think about how it affects everything else yeah well i will say the the one that i adapted that i really enjoyed was the i think it's the marshal from pathfinder yeah it's, it's basically like the cheerleader for the team yeah like everybody you fire you fire you everybody gets a bonus you get a bonus you get a bonus you get a bonus and i'll stab somebody all right <laughs> go team yeah it's like a violent bard with no singing <laughs> <laughs> basically it, it's, it's like, it's like cool. the coach yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, kind of is. That robot was called FM94763 2X817, so they just called him FM. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> okay, Liz, any more emails? We got one more. Okay. Our last email is from Wes from Radio Free Muncie. Ah. Oh. And he says, longtime listener, first time emailer. I have followed you all since Save or Die. What's that? And always found the show <laughs> informative and entertaining. I was surprised and delighted to hear you cover the new D&D movie, which I also enjoyed. I 100% agree with the tone of the new D&D movie, reminding me of a gonzo tabletop RPG session. The harebrained schemes, smack talk, and not taking itself too seriously all put me in the mind of sessions I've played in over the years. That being said, the three others I watched it with, who are not tabletop RPG gamers, are but are tabletop RPG gamer adjacent, were also entertained. Any divergence from game setting canon didn't bother me a bit. Congruence with game lore would certainly need to be bent to make the movie more cinematic and appealing outside of the gamer audience. Even Mordenkainen's mention in the realms wasn't distracting for me, as it's not inconsistent. Some of the more powerful mages were known to traverse the various setting prime material planes. Too long didn't read version. Love the show. Keep it up. Wes. Thanks, Wes. Wow, Wes. I love it when we get emails that are more articulate than we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Indeed. That was nice. Yeah. I really enjoyed the movie, and I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, the more I've heard people say, well, you know, there's planar travel, I'm like, okay, I can probably withdraw my mild objection about Morton Kanan's mention in the movie. 
Well, it wasn't like you were just yelling at the sky. <laughs> you do that for other Well, reasons. not online. I, I did it after the show. <laughs> so, but yeah, I did. It did throw me off a bit. All right, cool. And if anyone wants to write us, where would they write us? Corbett. Save or die podcast at gmail.com? No. It, and and ask for Eric. Yeah. Oh, shit, <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I was close, right? <laughs> I was yeah, sitting here, honest to God, in my head, going, "Yep, he he nailed it. That's right." No. Almost exactly. Almost exactly. Yes and no. <laughs> it's save for half podcast at gmail.com. I love this more and more by the minute. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to take this opportunity before we get into the meat of the show to also do a shout out to a new patron that we got. And yay! My apologies because this is also a couple of months old and I'm lame. But we got a new patron, Ron Northway. Thank you, Ron. We appreciate you. You are awesome. Thanks, Ron. Yay! You get to roll on the artifact table. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that's a bonus. Let us know what you get. You earned one draw from the deck of many things. As opposed to a mead draw, which is 13 from the deck of many things at once and survived. The deck of many things. I thought you said the duck of many things, which sounds way more exciting. Well, you're still still thinking RuneQuest. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Duck of... Hey, Liz. Just squeeze the duck of many things and you don't know what'll come out. The Duke of Death. (laughs) (laughs) Or a wish golden egg. It could be. You mean that we have to write it up? Yeah, in in this victorious game at one point, uh, a a villain started calling himself the Iron Duke and she started calling him the Iron Duck. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Corbett. Now I have a new index card. (laughs) I'm I'm writing that down. Oh, boy. Now we're going to talk Skeeter Green Productions. Are we, though? (laughs) Start talking. I'm Skeeter Green from Skeeter Green Productions. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) It it could. Skeeter Green Productions is run by an AI that has a lot of problems and cannot learn. That makes a lot of sense. It's a lot more clear now, isn't it? And he has an inappropriate comment subroutine put in. Yes. Just keeps popping up. Yeah, it just (laughs) lurches out every once in a while. We have put out Crypt of the Science Wizard, Cryptocodex, Valley Out of Time, Underland, the Dread from Geneva Lake, Call of Cthulhu module for GaryCon 14, <laughs> and written on a whole Geneva? bunch for other people. Uh, yes, in Lake Geneva, but we're not calling it that. We're calling it Geneva Lake for ah. a reason my co-author might know that I do not know. Ah, secret stuff. That was before they settled the lawsuit with Gail. There you go. Yeah, it could <laughs> it could very well be. <laughs> Yes, the co-author on Dread from Geneva Lake is Luke Gygax, which is an awesome thing to be able to say. And it has the official Chaosium logo on the cover. So Two names that don't often go together. (laughs) Mm, True. Gygax and and Chaosium. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned that because Dread from Geneva Lake 2, which will be coming out for... GaryCon 16 and the 50th year celebration of D&D factors Gygax and the Mythos very heavily intertwined. So that should be fun for Cthulhu players and D&D players because it's a real, speaking of genre mashing, 
we're really trying to make a Call of Cthulhu scenario palatable for D&D folks. I don't know how it's going to work out. I hope it, I hope it's fun <laughs> and a blast. I think it will be, but man, <laughs> that is an oil and water mixture that I'm not sure how I'm going to get to blend. <laughs> you put your Cthulhu in my peanut butter. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that's, your 50th, that's what's right? coming up. Crap, we may uh, have to go to Gary Con, Liz. Oh, no. It's so I highly now. encourage you to do it. I also highly encourage you to not be a vendor there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that was a below-the-belt shot. Sorry. I will take my <laughs> one-point penalty. <laughs> Time to reboot the AI. Yeah. I've heard that it's getting to the point where it's almost like trying to get hotel rooms for Gen Con. Oh, yes. Yes, as soon yes. as the first con is done with, you have to immediately try to grab a room if you want to be in the con hotel for Gary Con now. We may not be able to get one at this point. Uh, the rooms in the Grand Geneva are sold out. Mm-hmm. There is Timber Ridge that has a little shuttle that goes back and forth. I think as of last time I heard any news about it, I think they still have some rooms. And Lake Geneva. The whole city has opened up uh, hotel blocks for the 50th anniversary. So there are hotel rooms to be had. I think 90% of them are within a five to seven minute drive to the Grand. So it's super easy to get there. I would encourage anybody to go because it's a lot of fun. If you have never been to the Grand Geneva Hotel, it is a non-Euclidean nightmare. Yes. To try yes. and get from one portion to another portion. Yes. And, and if you're on a scooter, 10 times that. Yes, absolutely. This is like MC Escher went nightmare with HP Lovecraft and threw in some Although Playboy it is bunnies. dungeon-ish in some of those <laughs> some, back, some back passages and ramps and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very super creepy. I have heard from a reliable source that if you are inebriated (laughs) by either alcohol, drugs, or whatever you choose, and you go wandering in those hallways, you could be there for a while. That's what they base scene from Mazes and Monsters on, right? (laughs) Yeah. And you can allegedly, you can be texting people trying to get them to find you because you are lost and they will not come to find you. You get lost in that maze, and God knows what you're going to run into at Gary Con. It could be a Minotaur, it could be Ernie Gygax, it could be both combined. Ooh, ooh get a Carl co- skeleton and just leave it in the floor somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, find find a Gary Con badge from five years ago and put it <laughs> on. Get on there, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get to my room on my scooter, and somebody laid a skeleton <laughs> in the hallway. <laughs> There's your Tim Cask impression for the episode. That was fantastic and very well done. <laughs> So what's the latest product that you guys have put out that we can pimp here? The last Kickstarter that I did was for a zine called Underland. And it's basically a riff off of Alice in Wonderland, kind of that concept that once you are underground, everything in the universe is connected. And what I wanted to do was, again, part of this genre mashup that we were talking about earlier. In one of the sections, the characters can go underground and there's an adventure in the book that's fully self-contained, but it has these legs that reach out to, if you want to end up in Myth Draenor, 
from Forgotten Realms, if you want to end up in Dark Sun in a desert landscape with sandworms, just like Dune ripoff or whatever, you can do that. Um, You can go very quickly to space. You can go to Greyhawk. I wanted to make a place that was familiar enough to everybody that they could drop it into their campaigns, but then they could go anywhere from that point because it's it it seems like a weird thing a lot of a lot of people who are new to the game don't necessarily know that they can pick and choose from every published and established campaign setting it it seems like when i talk to people sometimes they feel like oh i'm i'm playing in forgotten realms so i can't use xyz supplement it's like yes you can just shoehorn it in there it's like i'm in forgotten realms i can't do this Greyhawk thing right the reign of colorless fire could never happen in forgotten realms well sure it could yeah (laughs) you don't want it to but it absolutely could you want to go to undermountain and then have a side cavern that goes to rapanathic sure i mean i don't think you need that much underground (laughs) mega dungeon but who am i to judge yeah. That might be your jam. So well, you basically are. built a big Price is Right spinner wheel for deep cuts. Yeah. The way I had to describe it to somebody was it was a campaign setting collector. So it was not in itself a campaign setting. It was just encouraging people to use all of the books they already have breaking their bookshelves so sort of like when we covered the fantasy trip and they mentioned the world of sidri being so massive that nobody really knows how big the world is so you can drop kingdoms over here or a campaign setting over there and they're all part of the the world of sidri and it all can work together it doesn't have to well also this reminds me do any of you guys remember reading back in the 1980s, a comic book called Grimjack. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. So this, yeah, well, this is kind of like this, the pan-dimensional Sinisher. Oh, Sinisher, that's it. Everything, realities kind of go in and out and things like that. And this is a place where from this hub, you could end up anywhere. See, this is what I'm talking about. Skeeter, you built a deep cuts machine. Yeah. (laughs) And what was really the impetus of doing this whole thing was after I did the Valley Out of Time series, which was based on a hollow earth, lost world concept, is everybody puts their campaigns on the outside of the planet they're on. What if you did the inside as well? Or what if... Sort of like hollow earth or... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And what if instead of always being on the surface of this planet, you suddenly get transported to a moon doing the whole Barsoom thing? I wanted to crack everybody's head open and let the creativity come out because between stoking people's creativity and pushing people to become their own small publishers that's sort of the impetus more than writing that's what sgp is standing for is to get people to have the confidence that their ideas are valuable which leads straight to you running all these small publisher seminars at the cons we all go to yeah Gary con you do it out on the west coast too yep years and years ago 
let's jump into the Wayback Time Machine. Me and my buddy, Mr. Zach Glazer, used to have our own little YouTube show called Free Zach. And the whole point of the show was Zach has collected RPG ephemera for, for decades. He loves games and utterly out-of-date computers. So <laughs> he wanted to show all this stuff off. And we started doing it, and then we started giving people advice on these things that we would show off. Hey, I would have done this different. Look at how they, they laid this out. Look at these choices, that kind of stuff. So we evolved into starting to give out small publisher advice, which was asked for by no one. This was just <laughs> us doing it. Nobody wanted to hear any of this until we started doing it at game conventions. And again, a lot of people don't come to the seminars, but some people do. And we have built up a little bit of a following. Well, don't be immodest because at GaryCon, the last GaryCon, that seminar was packed, jam-packed. And there were even what I think were some, um, how shall I say this, people in there scouting the room. Yeah. No, there are. And I am modest about that because I have imposter syndrome and I think all of my ideas are worthless. But as I have found out from a number of people, uh, some of the subjects that we have talked about, sometimes we talk about uh, things to do and not to do if you're going to do a Kickstarter. We had the good fortune to have Crystal Mazer with us on several small publisher seminars talking about how to talk to freelancers, how mm -hmm. to speak their language, because publishing and being a freelancer are worlds different. Crystal's amazing too. She's so smart and so kind and so articulate. It kind of pissed us all off because <laughs> we are not those things. But the last small publisher seminar that I did at North Texas, I specifically talked to people about what do you do when everything goes wrong? Last year, I had two Kickstarters that really beat me up and I was on the ropes and was going to quit publishing 100% just done. And when I started talking to people openly about that, they were very surprised. Like, oh, we're getting real, real now. And then I had the Underland Kickstarter, and I had the exact same problems with printers that I had on the other two. It was devastating. So for three Kickstarters, I have made no money. Ouch. That is a hard thing. Mostly because of printer errors. Yeah, I'll, I'll flat out say them. Mixum printing screwed me over. Even after I fought them and they sort of fixed these series of errors, they only fixed the products. So like me having to reship 100 pledges three different times, that postage comes out of my pocket. They don't reimburse me for that. Yeah. So any profits I made in Kickstarter are way long gone. So everybody really appreciated hearing that because for the most part, when, when there's a seminar, it's trying to get people excited about doing something. And I want to be authentic and honest with people and say, hey, when this happens, you can get pretty low. Like you can need to go on antidepressants because your Kickstarters have shaken your fundamental idea of your capabilities. <laughs> so I, I kind of got through that ish. 
I would presume that the people that were backing your Kickstarter were pretty supportive, though. I mean, that's got to be a little uplifting, I would hope. Yes and no. Probably mostly yes, but that doesn't help you make money. To be 100% honest, 98% of people who messaged me about anything during these three fiascos, especially the third one, they were like, Jesus, dude, what can we do to help? There's always one, two, three people that send a message. It's like, hey, I read through your product and I think it's pretty good, except for the fact that I hate everything about it. And and that's that's but other than that. But no, I had somebody send me a message where they did a six part breakdown of Underland and they hated it so much I just refunded them their money and just said, Don't well, contact me again. All right. Now you now you got me putting on my publisher some in our shoes. All right. A, that's just the cost of doing business. You can't Oh yeah. And 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 B, um that is almost a sign you're doing something worthwhile, right? Yeah, I got a message from that person later saying, hey, I want to apologize for sending this message. I reread it and it sounded a little bit harsh even to me and I did not mean that, which is fine. I appreciate that as Skeeter Green, but as Skeeter Green, who's part of SGP Publishing, I was already so threadbare in my sanity. Getting that message, the initial message, was just like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And there were a number of times where all of my small publisher friends have said, hey, take a step back, relax. This is just the way things go. In particular, there is a Mr. Jim Wampler who tries to talk me off the ledge way more often than he should have to in our friendship. All right, but but fair's fair. I have my guys that talk me out of the tree all the time too. But I love how you're self-interviewing because that leads directly to the whole point of the IPU. Yeah. Well, I've done this before. So <laughs> I'm I'm helping out. <laughs> Ain't your first rodeo. No, and like Jim said, that was directly what the beginning of the independent publishers union was for that was a group of and i can remember i couldn't for the longest time i couldn't remember what the initial very first impetus of doing that was and i got to be a special guest at north texas where i was offered table space next to these cool cats named liz and mike can you introduce us i <laughs> sound awesome i don't I don't know, because every time I'm at North Texas, we are all so busy, we never talk, even it's though true. we're in a table right next to each other. Maybe early Sunday morning a little bit, but yeah. A little, a little, but that's yeah. about it. You, you go I, to the Safer Half booth, of the, where's Jim? Oh, he's camped out over there in Darlene's booth. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is also a true statement. <laughs> but they were giving me a table, and I just kind of looked at my... I think I had two, maybe three books at the time. And I just thought to myself, well, this is stupid. Who can I get who maybe can't afford a table or doesn't want to man a table and have them put their books out as well? It started out with me, Levi Combs from Planet X Games, Jim Wampler from Mud Puppy Games, Ian McGarty and Rocky Gardner from Silver Boulet. That was the beginning of the Independent Publishers Union 
unfortunately, we picked the name sort of incorrectly. We are not a union. Yeah, because... we, we picked that name about a month before the Paizo workers unionized and realized our mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Ruh-roh. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, and I really wish I could. But somebody came up to the booth and said, you guys really missed an opportunity. You could have been the codependent publishers union. And I was like, that would be C-O-P-E. or Oh, God, it would have been perfect. But whatever. Well, you anyway. could have been the Independent Publishers Association, and then you would have been an IPA. Well, yeah. Ah, if it, I think if, you did. If it was the Codependent Publishers Union, we would have been CPU, and I know Jim would have loved that. <laughs> but since then, we have grown to include our friend Jeff Talanian, and we just recently got another, acquired another just awesome worker, Tom Wilson of throwy games so yeah we're almost done tom's hazing period is almost over (laughs) almost (laughs) almost once we get through game hole then he will be an official scarred up member like the rest of us but yeah it's just a group of friends who are semi-like-minded in the rpg industry slash hobby just trying to lighten the load on each other and and put out good product. I mean, we've written for each other's books. We have a group chat that could never be published to the public. Oh my lord. <laughs> we hang out. I get a ton of advice from everybody in there and I am by far the least stable member of the group, I think. So everybody's trying to pitch in to try to keep me mellow and calm. But come by the independent publishers booth at game hole and you will get to see crazy upfront and personal don't miss this exclusive yeah just a bunch of friends who share hot tips on artists and writers and and who not to use as a printer mix them <laughs> right okay well let's take another podcast break and then we'll close out hey everyone this is tim from tomorrow's end podcast if you're interested in post-apocalyptic moral project then tomorrow's end podcast is for you you can hear us at tomorrowsend.org or you can find us on itunes google play facebook and more here at this old dungeon we know times are tough my wife was pregnant with our fifth album when they told me they didn't need no cooper no more at the shady dragon trading post I had the basic rule books and only a worn out copy of B2. I thought the adventures were over for me and my group. Then I discovered this old dungeon. Thanks to this old dungeon, my group and I are back at gaming. And those caves are more chaotic than ever. With all the money I've spent on minis, I don't have the cash for those newfangled 200 page full color adventures. But thanks to this old dungeon, I've been running my group through the same copy of Against the Giant since 2018. It was easy after listening to them. I just replaced the giants with ogres, then minotaurs, then werebores, then magically enlarged kobolds. This old dungeon is the program where old adventures are made new again. Come listen to hosts Bill, Edwin, and Lou as they reminisce about classic game publications and discuss how to renovate them for an all-new tabletop experience. Catch this old dungeon from your podcatcher of choice. It is ten days now since I am shipwrecked on this desert island. I would surely have perished were it not for a crate of ship's biscuits that washed ashore from the wreck. Aside from dryness in mouth, I am healthy and in good spirits. Day twelve. More crates wash ashore. Chocolate chip cookies. Eat them by the handful, but find them difficult to swallow. Day fifteen. Brownies. 
Day 24. Powdered donuts. Day 35. Nearing the end of my wits when I see something offshore. A huge carton of milk. As I draw closer, I realise I have been deceived. No milk, only a lifeboat. In anger, I throw rocks until it is sunk. Still, I wait. Got milk. Brought to you by America's Dairy Farmers. All right, we're back. Well, thanks for coming on, Skeeter. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a long time, and I have looked forward to this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we've been, you know, the darn summer getting in the way of things. We It just seemed like our schedules weren't going to click together until, well, mid-August. <laughs> we'll have to have you back on again so I could ask the really deep, true question I had on my list. Oh, boy. Oh, go ahead. Is it true you were once... Uh, that you once competed in mixed martial arts, Skeeter. Uh, so that is a story that... We'll do next episode. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I, I can answer it. But that is a story that Bill Webb of Necromancer Games and Frog God Games loved to, to bring up as often as humanly possible. Anytime I was with him and we were in a group, and this was back in the drinking days. So, yeah, he would love to bring this up. And I can say with 100% accuracy, yes, I did used to be that guy. Okay. So watch your criticisms. The Skeeter Green now can has to be very careful even walking down a hallway or I will break my own bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I am not a threat anymore as far as anybody knows. <laughs> but get him in a scooter and, and he's ready to go. Yeah. Now, I did almost fight uh, Gary Oliver two years ago in a hallway at North Texas, which is a story he loves to tell as well. All right. Well, maybe we can hear that next time you come on. And we'll have to wrap up here. So say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody. See ya. Briark. International Printers. Pre-Arc Union. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and we're out. The Save Have Podcast is a production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Save for Have theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Half. I feel so dirty. <laughs> Dance, monkey. <laughs> Nobody told you oh, we were going to put you to work. But do you like it? That's the question. The, the funny thing is, sometimes when my wife is mad at me, she will say, Dance for me, monkey boy. <laughs> I, I am not even kidding. I'm glad I can be there to be your wife. I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. I'm going to have the worst nightmares now. <laughs> Hopefully none of us will say anything too embarrassing that Corbett can use as a blooper reel. So Liz, 
control that filthy mouth of yours, all right? Oh, go Briark yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you can't say that. There are kids present. Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> Not that any of them would know what that meant. <laughs> Look it up on Google. <laughs> and if they do, they've come to the right place. So Well done. Yes. 